So I'm Cecilia Dang, and I'm a software engineer on the AWS Lambda team. Um, and I work on a component specifically responsible for processing streams as well as uh, asynchronous invocations. So I'm here today to talk about real-time processing using AWS Lambda. And I'll be joined by uh, Anders Fritz and Marco Pierleoni from Thomson Reuters, who will go over their architecture and how they use AWS Lambda and Kinesis Streams to solve their real-time processing problem. So um, my goal for today is to dive into how going serverless with AWS Lambda can help you um, approach and solve a variety of real-time processing uh, needs and problems. Um, and by the end of the talk, I hope you walk away with a better idea of the different options you have of generating real-time events to Lambda, as well as the differences on, in how we process them. Um, and because real-time really implies near real-time, and near real-time really implies some delays. Um, there's very few things in the world that's instantaneous. So understanding the sort of the differences and how we process these events will help you better understand how your system is behaving. Um, specifically, I want to dive into how Lambda pulls and processes streams, as this can be one of the more involved processes, um, and also go into uh, what kind of behaviors that you might expect to see um, when you use a stream event source and you know, a little bit of um, uh, best practices, some metrics that you might see and want to alarm on, stuff like that. Um, to tie things up at the end, we'll uh, and, and illustrate what going uh, real-time uh, processing with AWS Lambda looks like in practice. Um, we'll have Thomson Reuters coming up and talking about their architecture. So what are the different kinds of real-time event sources? Um, we generally talk about push event sources and pull event sources. I like to think about it um, in these three sort of broad categories where push event sources can also be broken down into asynchronous invoke and uh, synchronous invoke. So push event sources uh, can th is really generating the event to notify Lambda about something that just happened in real time. And how this is done is using the asynchronous invocation API or the synchronous invocation API. And I'll dive into sort of uh, why I'm differentiating between these two in a little bit. Um, or you can use a, the pull event source model um, for streams. And this is really more um, you making this uh, event uh, a, as a reaction to a real-time action available for consumption on a stream in real time. And then it's Lambda's responsibility to then pull and process this record and in uh, response in real time. You can, um, a lot of these event sources, so for example, we have Amazon S3 doing asynchronous invocations, um, and the actions might be something like putting an item into your bucket. Um, I don't know if you guys were at the What's New sort of talks, but we also um, can do gets on uh, S3 event sources now, so that can generate events. Um, and then S3 will notify Lambda, will notify us to do the processing. Um, you have echoes um, for giving commands to an Alexa skill, and that will also notify Lambda to do some processing. Um, uh, if you want to have custom events, you can also uh, directly, um, your custom application can directly respond and throw custom events uh, and invoke Lambda directly using the asynchronous invocation API or the synchronous one, or you can throw it into a Kinesis stream and deliver these events and make them available for Lambda consumption um, that way as well. For streams, uh, 
The other option is DynamoDB update streams. So that's a feature you can turn on a DynamoDB table, and they will deliver an event. For example, if you update an item onto your table, make that event available in a stream for consumption. So uh, the difference I want to make between the sync and async is the idea of polling and then synchronously invoking is sort of more obvious with the streams, but really asynchronously, there is that sort of idea behind it as well. Asynchronous generally means you make work available in a queue, and then you'll have to have uh, some, some work to be done to grab that from the queue and then also invoke it. And let's kind of go into more what um, real-time push looks like. Who does real-time push? This is any integrator that uses AWS Lambda's invoke API. Um, so this can be S3, Amazon SNS, um, Amazon Alexa, who does the synchronous one, and uh, various IoT. Um, what it is is event sources notifying Lambda for processing. And because this is more of a push notification uh, model, the, the responsibility of owning this mapping is really on the event source. Lambda doesn't necessarily know who's going to notify it, but S3 knows that when you put a bucket, um, when you put an event or a, something into your bucket, it, they also have to notify Lambda that something just happened. Um, once Lambda receives the uh, invoke, they have to do the real-time processing, and that's when we get into the differences between um, the synchronous and async. So for async, you, when you make the invoke API, you get a 202 right away. What happens in the back end is really you're telling us to uh, queue up that work, and then you get that 202. And then in the back end, Lambda will own the um, processing of pulling and then synchronously invoking, making sure that function actually gets executed and processed. Um, and compare that to the synchronous invoke, you don't really have that extra sort of work that needs to be done. When you make that invoke, um, right away, you'll be telling Lambda, start processing, and it's going to wait for processing to be done before you get a response back. Um, and now to sort of dive into real-time pull, and you might think it's like, okay, so we're pulling events and synchronously invoking. Um, how is this different than, like, what, what becomes more involved? Um, and there's a couple factors that makes this more involved. First of all, now you're talking about pulling per shard. So you have various shards that you need to um, all be grabbing data from. Uh, you also have the notion where you're not deleting data from when you process it. So this is a stream. So you have the concept of checkpointing um, and keeping track of where you are in the data, uh, where you are in the stream. And then you also have to keep it in order. In Kinesis, there is the paradigm where uh, the promise that you have the records in order. So let's kind of go into that in more detail. So who does real-time pull? This is Amazon Kinesis and DynamoDB streams currently. DynamoDB, um, oh, and what real-time pull is? Lambda grabbing events from a stream for processing. So in this case, the, the mapping and the configuration itself is owned by Lambda. And um, when you want to configure a stream event source, you call the Lambda API create event source. Um, and this tells Lambda that, hey, you need to start paying attention to the stream and watching it for events. So the real-time triggered events is still owned by the event source. Uh, DynamoDB is still responsible for creating this event whenever you update um, your table, but then they make it available for real-time processing in a stream. And similarly with Kinesis, um, if you have your custom application and um, you're creating your custom event, you put it into the stream, and then 
that's the end of your responsibility. Lambda then needs to grab it and then start um, batching up these records and invoking it in the back end. Um, what it looks like here is when you, uh, as a customer, when you put records into the stream or when DynamoDB puts records in the stream, it's available across different shards. And then you have Lambda responsible for pulling it and synchronously invoking it. Um, and this is where I'll go into, uh, dive into more under the hood, what happens in this section and some um, behaviors and observations to watch out for. Processing streams. Um, I'll start off by going into how the different configurations impact um, processing and throughput at the end. So how you configure your Kinesis stream, uh, how you configure your Lambda when you create it, and then how you actually hook them up and using the create event source API. Um, and yeah, and, and how di different configurations on each of these components impacts the, the resulting processing. So with Kinesis, um, it's made up of shards. And the thing to sort of uh, really note here is Lambda is going to be consuming from your stream. So it's important to know what are the limitations on the Kinesis that will impact Lambda consuming from your stream. Um, this includes each shard supporting reading up to two megabytes per second, and also each shard supporting five control plane reads per second. So this will be across any consumers on the stream, including the Lambda event source. It's also uh, good to note for the Kinesis side that all data is stored replayable by default for 24 hours, and this is a soft limit, um, and, uh, which means that Lambda consumption can happen at various different points. Um, that's why we do checkpointing, and, um, and it can also uh, be replayable. Um, some sort of rules of thumbs when you're um, creating your stream and, and putting records into your stream is to make sure that the partition key distributes work evenly across your shards because that's how consumers are going to be able to parallelize processing across your stream. Um, and that's true for any consumers, including Lambda. And also a good rule of thumb is to pick a key with more groups than shards. Um, this will sort of uh, help you guarantee that you're Make, putting good work, making them available across the shards. On the Lambda side, um, you have some configurations including memory. So memory not only configures the amount of RAM that's available to your Lambda function, but um, it also proportionally uh, detail how much CPU, um, disk space, uh, threads, and other resources available to your Lambda execution. So uh, why is that important? Well, I mean, besides the obvious, I guess, um, more memory if your Lambda function is CPU, CPU, CPU bound generally means faster execution. And we'll go into uh, why the function duration really impacts stream processing in a little bit. Um, more memory can also mean you can process larger size record batches or you can process larger records, period. Um, if your records in your uh, stream uh, is variable in size or you have variable traffic, this is when this might um, come into play. You also have timeout. So increasing timeout allows for longer functions. Um, and again, this will the duration of your Lambda function will impact processing. Um, one thing to watch out for is if your timeout is too long, then than usual, and uh, your lamp, it might take longer for you to recognize any errors that might happen. 
Um, the permission model of the lambda function uh, includes the execution role, um, and it's important to note here that the execution role needs all the permissions in order to describe the stream uh, and get records from the stream. Um, and this is just how we are able to grab records from customer streams. When you create the actual event source between your Kinesis and Lambda function, you have a couple configurations here, including batch size. So um, it's important to note here, batch size is not actually the number of records that is going to be uh, invoked in the, in the Lambda function. It's not guaranteed to be that. So, um, and, and it's also not equivalent to how many records we grab from the Kinesis stream when we process it. Um, the batch size is really the maximum number of records that we will invoke a Lambda function with. And I like to sort of, this is, you know, a way to, I like to describe it is the effective batch size, so like what we're actually going to be throwing into your Lambda function is the minimum of records available. So that's how many records we get in a get records call uh, from your Kinesis stream. Um, the maximum batch size configuration that you configured, um, as well as any payload size limits in the synchronous invocation. And to date, that is six megabytes. So um, batch size here, when you increase it, some things you might expect to see is uh, maybe la fewer Lambda invocations when you have larger batch sizes, but each Lambda invocation is able to process more data per function. So that's really what um, the batch size is controlling there. You also have starting position when you configure event source. And um, the starting position tells us at what point in your stream are we going to start processing. Um, the options right now uh, include trim horizon, which tells us to start processing from the very beginning of the stream. Uh, and that's the oldest record uh, in the stream. And then latest. So we'll start um, processing from the most recent record in the stream, um, uh, the newest one. And it's always first and first out, so we process on from there. Um, and uh, if you guys were at the What's New announcement, we also now have at timestamp as a starting position. And that really allows you to um, uh, be able to be particular about where you want to process in your stream. Um, you can enable and disable your stream, pause processing your stream, and then um, start up again at where you actually want to start processing again. And it also allows you to be able to replay data if you need and gives you a lot more control on uh, where you want to start processing your data. When you configure event source, you can um, configure multiple functions mapped to one stream, or you can configure multiple streams to one function. So this is a many-to-many -many relationship, and each mapping is really a unique uh, a unique key pair between the Kinesis ARN and the Lambda ARN. And what this really means is that each mapping, each have their own unique shard iterators. So this means that each mapping is reading from the stream all at, can, can, they can all be at different parts in time. So if you have one Lambda function that um, is processing slower or faster or doing other things in another Lambda function, they're not really impacting each other. They all have their different checkpointing and iterators. Um, one thing to note, though, if you have too many consumers of your stream, they might, they're also competing for the Kinesis read limits. So that's when this comes into play. Um, by configuring multiple um, events or uh, Lambda functions to the stream, they all count as consumers. So this is kind of an example of what a record might look like when it reaches your Lambda function. You can see here 
Uh, it's a list of records. That's what that square bracket is. I only have one in here, though. Um, and you get information like partition key, uh, event ID, and the data, your byte 64 encoded data. Under the hood, what's um, happening when Lambda is processing streams is we pull. So this is pu pulling concurrently across the shards. Um, you would only process, uh, you would only have as many concurrent Lambda functions as the shards that you have in your stream. And we'll go into more of that later. Um, if we don't get any records in a shard, we'll wait 250 sec milliseconds before we grab the next batch. So there's a general delay when we um, don't see any records. When we do see records, then we start doing the batching process and the invoking. And then it's a matter of how long your Lambda function takes. And that's when duration really comes into play. So when we grab records from Kinesis, we try to grab as much as we can. And then we keep those, that batch of records in memory, and then we do sub-batching to create the eventual payload that will be invoked into Lambda. So this is what I mean when you configure your batch size. It doesn't mean how much we grab from, uh, grab from Kinesis, and it doesn't necessarily mean how much we're going to invoke your Lambda with. Um, when we get that uh, eventual payload that we want to invoke Lambda with, we're going to invoke it synchronously. So this is a request response type of invocation. And we do this because we need to honor Kinesis at least once semantics. So this means we need to make sure that a batch of records was processed, or at least a best try, uh, before we move on to the next one. And by best try, I mean until those batch of records are expired. So it essentially um, means that we, we will try our best until it's no longer possible uh, to invoke that batch of records before moving on. Um, so yeah, that, that means that each shard blocks on in-ordered synchronous invocation, and this is why um, uh, your lambda function duration really um, uh, will impact your processing throughput because really when one invocation is invoked, we're waiting for that response before invoking the next one. Here's sort of how, um, what it looks like illustrated. Um, per shard, Lambda's going to call get records. I mean, this is just how um, uh, processing streams works. Uh, we call get records with uh, the max limit. Currently, that's 10K or 10 megabytes from Kinesis, and generally not what you get back, especially if you have constant flow, uh, in order to honor the actual read limit of Kinesis. Um, and then if we don't get any record back, we wait a little while, and then we'll try to get records again. Um, if we do, we keep those records in memory. We do some sub-batching logic uh, to get the effective batch size, as I mentioned earlier. Um, and then we do some formatting and then invoke Lambda with the resulting payload. Um, and then when we invoke the payload, uh, invoke Lambda, it's going to be with a synchronous invocation. Um, the synchronous invocation will block. So this is uh, blocking for ordered processing. And again, this is on each individual shard, which means there is no uh, parallel or concurrent work happening on one shard. Increasing the number of shards with even distributed work, meaning you have uh, even work across the shards, allows for increased concurrency. Um, and uh, increasing or changing the batch size 
if it impacts duration of the lambda function, it might take longer to process more records. And uh, so it's important to sort of know uh, understand um, how your lambda function reacts to more records. If it's uh, a linear sort of relationship, it might not be um, as impactful to your resulting processing. Now, if your lambda function fails, um, we currently retry until the records are expired or the request successfully goes through. And again, this is in order to honor the at least once semantics. Um, what this means is if you have uh, throttling or errors in your lambda function, it, it effectively holds up processing on that particular shard. We do retry with some exponential backoff. Um, so if there's like some service disruption, it shouldn't uh, be that impactful. But um, throttles and errors are very important to monitor when you set up these uh, kinesis event sources. So um, some more little rules of thumbs I like to think about. Uh, the maximal theoretical throughput, at least um, as far as you know that you can from, get from Kinesis, is the number of shards times the maximum read limit, which is two megabytes per second. Uh, the effective theoretical throughput looks more like the number of shards times the effective batch size uh, divided by how long your function actually takes, and also any retries uh, that might happen until it successfully goes through. And um, it's, it's kind of useful to sort of look at your put metrics on your Kinesis stream and compare them to your get metrics and, and maybe from some, uh, you know, uh, estimations. Um, if the put rate is uh, consistently greater than ingestion throughput, you probably are um, going to be falling behind in processing. Um, in that case, you might want to consider increasing the number of shards so that you can increase parallel processing or optimizing your lambda function um, and decreasing the duration. So uh, here are some metrics that are useful here. Um, this is, you have, Kinesis provides get records um, and, and also put records. So get records will kind of tell you what the effective throughput is uh, as far as Kinesis knows and the put records is your ingestion rate. So if your get records line is consistently higher than your put records line, you're probably falling behind in processing. Um, another good metric to watch out for is iterator age milliseconds. And this is uh, a, count, a, a measurement of how old your last processed record was. If that number gets really high, if it's close to 24 hours, um, it means that the last processed record was, was close to expiring, and all subsequent records are probably also close to expiring. Uh, on the lambda side, we have metrics for invocation count, duration, uh, error count, as well as throttle count. So the error counts and throttle counts are important to monitor in this case. Um, as I've talked about, it, it uh, greatly impacts processing. Um, and we also have logs for all these metrics as well, uh, including the amount of uh, memory consumed, as well as any custom logs that you have in your lambda function. So. Some common observations um, with all these configurations and, and processing is uh, the effective batch size, so how much, how many records actually you see in a Lambda function execution might be less than what you've configured for your uh, batch size if you have low throughput in your stream. Um, conversely, if you have high throughput in your stream, your batch size will likely increase. Um, when you have increased Lambda duration, uh, it kind of holds up processing the, along the whole pipeline, which means uh, there's decreased number of invocations as well as uh, decreased number of get records calls. That's us grabbing records from Kinesis. So, um, 
And also, if you have too many consumers on your stream, uh, you might start to see uh, the metric read provision throughput exceeded, and that's um, provided by Kinesis. Uh, so that's another good one to alarm on. Um, it basically tells you that um, you're starting to see some competition on your stream and the things that are trying to uh, read from it and process it. So that's kind of a good overview of, uh, of Lambda stream processing, and now we're going to have Anders and Marco come up. Uh, <clears throat> good afternoon, everyone. So I'm Anders. And Marco. Marco. So we work for a company called Thomson Reuters. And for those who don't know Thomson Reuters, we are active in a couple of different industries. We're in the financial industry, we're in the legal industry, we're in the tax and accounting industry, and then the news industry. You might know the Reuters News Agency. We're going to talk about Product Insight, which is an internal tool that we developed over the last year. Um, it's a usage. See if I get this right. It's a usage analytics solution that we developed. About a year ago, we were tasked with a challenge. We were to identify and define a solution for usage analytics tracking that enables our internal product teams to uh, take ownership of the usage data that we track. Um, in addition to tracking and visualizing the data, we also had to uh, connect it to other parts of Thompson Reuters so we could uh, augment business reference data that we, that we keep elsewhere. Um, it had to be safe and secure. Um, part of Thompson Reuters is around news, and usage of news fluctuates according to events breaking. So we had to be able to um, uh, scale up as events were breaking, scale down as they were subsidizing or going down. And the other part is we are a very, very small team. So a year ago we were four. Now we're five, six people. So we, we couldn't spend time on maintenance. We had, just had to maintain themselves almost. Um, and the last part is they said, you know, launch in five months. Um, next time, what, what, how does the solution look like? Okay, so to reiterate, the task was to create uh, a multi-tenant platform for the analysis of user, uh, user data inside answer other product. And uh, this, this solution will have a real-time processing pipeline, but also a full data export. And <clears throat> it will span client of hundreds of uh, requests per second and clients with millions of requests per second. It will have to be more in compliance with the current vendor. And it will have to cost less than a current vendor. It will have to be easy to use by the end, product, the end user, which are the product owners and the analyst. And it will have to be delivered in production in a few months. And everything will have to be implemented and managed by true developer and uh, not working exclusively on this project. So given these premises, uh, we knew that we wanted to leverage uh, Amazon Web Service as much as possible. So we started thinking about it and says, which is the best tool to manage a real-time data pipeline or data processing? And uh, we basically, our answer was to use Kinesis Stream. What we get with Kinesis Stream is basically we can just throw data at it, and what we get out of it is it's a serialized output, and uh, basically all the events are uh, strictly ordered inside the same shard, but also we get uh, not the structure rate that allow us to power both parallel processing but also give you resilience to failure. So in the way that we configure it, we have up to seven days uh, in case one of the consumer goes down, then we can just fix the problem and resume processing or just replay it all. Plus this Kinesis uh, uh, stream scale, so if you, have, if, you need, uh, if you have the need for more data, you just add more shard. Uh, 
So the next step was to have a master data set. So the master data set is uh, an immutable copy of all the raw events ever ingested by your system. And we decided to use uh, a cross-region replicated S3 bucket, a storage solution for it. And uh, the importance of well, having in the master, the master data set is of a capital importance, even more for a very tiny team like ours, mostly because of replayability. So let's imagine that we just deploy something with a bug that somehow in the later processing corrupts the data. So what we can do is just uh, deploy a fix and just replay all the data that would solve it. But also something similar would also happen if the client sends something wrong to us, which like bad data or data in a wrong format. And then at that point, we decide to just filter out the bad data or to sanitize the data in a, in a wrong format and just reprocess it all. Plus, uh, so basically having the master, what I'm trying to say is that having the master data set give you a resilience across multiple type of, uh, of failure. Plus, furthermore, if uh, we want to introduce a, a new feature or a new transformation, we can apply it to both the, uh, the recent data but also the historical ones since we are in the master data set. Uh, we decided to use the S3 as a solution because it's a very reliable one. Uh, it also offers you the ability to pay less for infrequent access, but most importantly, it because it has S3 event notification, and I'm going to describe later why that's important for us. However, S3 deals with files, not events, so we need a solution that basically just batch those events into files and store them in an S3 bucket, and we are using Kinesis Firehose for that, which is a very simple tool, but also very useful that what it does is basically what I just described. So take those events, batching file, and ship it to S3 bucket. It also offers you uh, compression and encryption. So the missing link here is how we take the data out of Kinesis trains and into Kinesis Firehose, and we are using a Lambda for that. We actually found in the AWS Labs GitHub account an example of it, so we just tweak it and deploy it. So let me spend a second here. So what we have now is uh, it's basically it's a, it's a serverless architecture that is able to collect user data and to create an immutable data set. It requires very small effort to set it up, and after that point, it's completely managed by Amazon for us. It, the only thing that remains to do is to create a couple of uh, alerts on CloudWatch, mostly on Kinesis and Lambda, to just be notified if something is wrong. But for the rest of it, it's, it is completely managed by Amazon, and it is the core of our, um, our analytics solution. And since we are not managing it, we can uh, shift our attention to other parts of the system trying to deliver new features. However, we cannot let the uh, user devices to send the data directly to Kinesis stream because in our solution, one of the requirements is that data has to be encrypted. So what we did is to add the thin layer on top of Kinesis streams, which is basically composed of ELB and NGINX collector in, on EC2. Uh, this is TCP load balancing, and what NGINX does after the TLS termination is to add some uh, metadata to the event to... Uh, well, it also provision, uh, try to authorize the request, and then just encrypt the, encrypt the, uh, the data and ship it to Kinesis streams. So the NGINX are deployed in an auto-scaling uh, group across two, the two-ability zone, and we're actually working right now on uh, replicating this field layer on a second region, leveraging Route 53. So we said with Kinesis stream is able to have parallel processing, so what we did also is to attach another real-time uh, 
processing pipeline. And what happens here is that basically we extract the data from Kinesis streams, we transform it and integrate it with Tonsor Radio Services, and we ship it to an Elasticsearch cluster. As a side note, if we lose all the data inside the Elasticsearch, we basically can rebuild it because we have the master data set and the data inside Kinesis stream. So after the data is, once the data is in Elasticsearch, we surface it to the end user, the product owner and the analyst through a third-party visualization tool, which is uh, Kibana uh, by Elastic. And, um, and at the same time, we were working on this project, uh, where internal group, well, our group was also working on a microservice um, platform, an internal one, it's named Alpha. We are using this platform for uh, deploying and, and uh, managing the more than 100 Kibana instances that we have. It also manages the authentication and authorization layer around it. We also use this platform for any other tool that we build around it, like administration console or PDF reporting. So Elasticsearch and Kibana uh, covers most, help us covering most of the use cases we want to uh, support. However, for a more advanced use, we also wanted to offer an alternative way to transform the data and let the user to export it so that it could be integrated in something else like uh, Elasticsearch Produce, Redshift, or AWS Athena, or anything really. So as we said before, an important feature of S3 was the S3 uh, event notification. So once, those are set, once you set it up, basically what happens is that <coughs> you can have a Lambda function invoke it every time a new file is an S3 bucket and can potentially take the content of the file and transform it in something else. So in the way that we set it up, every, every time there is a new file in the master data set, as intermediate step, a Lambda function is invoked that take that file and create multiple files, one for each tenant. So <coughs> at that point, uh, we have the data set of each tenant completely separated by, for, between each other. And we can attach even more Lambda function to the specific uh, tenant data set that allow us to have uh, a customized transformation in case we want to deliver uh, the data to the, the specific tenant in a, in a different format. So this chain of S3 and Lambda offer you a flexible and fully managed processing pipeline, plus the fact that we are using S3 for both the intermediate, the intermediate stage and the final output give you multiple integration points. So for example, someone could just take decide that it wants to take the master data set as it gets uh, created and push it into an Hadoop solution. And it can just do that. So someone else could just say that he's interested in having the raw event for one project or more than one, and then would just tap in what I call the intermediate storage. So since we are also using, uh, we are letting the user take the data directly from S3, we can use the IAM user to control the access of it. So just to finish my part, I just wanted to say that uh, using S3 and Lambda in this function plus all the other things that they announced this morning, I think it's very powerful, powerful and we want to leverage way more of this in the future. So where are we today? Um, we launched in, at the end of February. We launched two and a half months early, um, which was you know, five months is quick for Thomas Reuters, and actually launching in two and a half months as opposed to five months was really, really quick. We have a huge adoption rate. Um, it's a 
the adoption rate is, um, you know, we thought it'd be good, but the adoption rate across some sororages is a fact, you know, what we thought um, times a factor of five. Um, every business unit within Thomson Reuters is, is um, there's, there are product teams in every business unit across Thomson Reuters that is using it and, or testing it and ready to use it. Um, what about the product itself? We, over, since February, we had a chance of testing it in a couple of different ways. Um, we're going to see how, how many events or how many requests we could test it for. We targeted testing it for 5 billion requests in a month. We're actually able to push that limit up to 4,000 requests per second, so equivalent of 10 billion events per month. And that's, that's, that's plenty for our purposes. Um, since March, and this is, the, this is the good part here, since March we've had very, very, very little maintenance. We've had no outages. We've had no downtime. And we're using CloudWatch to monitor everything. And this, this part here about no outages and no maintenance is extremely important for us because we are so tiny. Uh, you know, four, five, five people doing this. Um, what has really impressed our product managers is the latency. It's the, from, the, from the capture of the single event to being visible in a, in a Kibana chart, it's a few seconds, um, which is just superb from a usage tracking setup. Um, We've, we've been able to test it on the auto-scaling feature, so Reuters News, we cover news, and there's been several breaking news over the last year or so. Um, and for the US elections, we saw a, a more than doubling of events captured in 24 hours compared to what we normally see on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, the UK-EU referendum was almost more impressive because nobody expected the British to vote for they in the way that they did. So we, had, we literally went to bed at night, slept very soundly, and next morning we woke up and we thought, oh, we, we doubled in events overnight, and luckily we're using AWS, so we were all good, and we, can, we could come in and just check the systems and make sure that everything was okay. Uh, so here you see you know, the real-time um, chart of that, uh, EU referendum, and you could see literally uh, track uh, asked the different districts in Britain came in, and suddenly people realized that this was not going in the way that people thought. Uh, so during that night, and so we see spikes there coming through. So the right hand spike there is the evening of the 23rd of June into the 24th. And here you see the events that we captured uh, during the U.S. elections. You can, again, you can see here we did we, we realized that this would be a big, big event, so we were able to prepare a little bit more than the EU referendum. But again, we tripled in size over in 24 hours to what we normally could do. And then afterwards, we just scaled it down. And, and it's enormously beneficial for us because it's it's very very hard to forecast news events because they they just break. Um, so having Having that auto scaling, having the architecture and the the uh, tools that AWS uh, provides is enormously beneficial, not only from a maintenance perspective but also from a cost and making this very very efficient. Um, and that's it from us. Thank you very much. Um, remember to complete your evaluations. <laughs> <laughs> On behalf of Cecilia here. Uh, um,